You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. One of my very favorite questions I ever asked in a, in a Final Four was Morgan Williams, this little 5'3 guard from Mississippi State, hit the shot that snapped UConn's 111 game win streak. And my question to her in my post game was, what did you see when you rose up for the shot? And she said, opportunity. And even to this day, that gives me chills. And I thought that's a, that was a question I was proud of because it elicited this beautiful response. Hey, everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Our guest this week is ESPN broadcaster Holly Rowe, one of my favorite people in the profession. She is covering the NCAA Women's Basketball Final Four in Dallas this week. And in the podcast, we talk about the growth and evolution of the women's basketball tournament, the unbelievable ratings that have come in through the Elite Eight, the star power of Iowa's Caitlin Clark, and the dominance of South Carolina. We get into how Holly prepares for certain things, including the trophy ceremony, why coaches um, in women's basketball are particularly forthcoming as compared to other coaches. Holly offers uh, a pretty some pretty interesting perspective on that. Talk about Holly's health and where it is now. Uh, being named a 2023 Kurt Gowdy Media Award winner. So she is now in the Hall of Fame, which is incredibly exciting. And she breaks news on this podcast that she has signed or re-signed, I should say, with ESPN for five years. So you will see Holly Rowe on the college football playoffs and regular season, NCAA Women's Final Four, Women's College World Series, all the things that she's been doing. Um, you'll be seeing her face on ESPN for um, the next number of years, and that's uh, it's a great move by, uh, by that company. Um, somebody who really has worked hard, I think, for viewers and is excellent at her job. Uh, and also happens to be just a really, really terrific person. So Holly Rowe coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, uh, Holly Rowe is uh, one of my favorite people in the sports media business. If you listen to this podcast, I really don't have to introduce her. I mean, if you're a college football fan or college basketball fan, softball fan, you know who she is. But for the purposes of biography... You've seen her on um, ABC and ESPN's college football coverage. You've seen it her on their college basketball coverage. For today's purposes, she'll be talking about ESPN and ABC's coverage of the NCAA Women's Final Four Basketball Championship as well as title game. Holly's an analyst for the Utah Jazz. She'll be covering the WNBA draft coming up on April 10th. She's a very busy woman, but taking some time. To slum on this podcast from the site of the Women's Final Four. Welcome, Holly Rowe. 
Well, okay. I'm super busy. I'm not going to lie, but you have been such a diehard supporter of women's basketball forever. And so I was like, I will honor any requests he ever makes of me because you have been a true, we call it the OG of women's basketball coverage. Holly, it's amazing how nice that sounds. Uh, if I distilled it though, you're just calling me old. So it's very, a very, I very appreciate No, that. no. It's like people who were in at the beginning, <laughs> we are the original gangsters covering this sport. You, you got in at the beginning, not only when it's popular, you've been on this train for a long time. Yeah. I mean, there's re- the real OGs are like, Mel Greenberg, Michelle Vopel. Uh, but yeah, I, I was, uh, yeah, I'm the, you know, second or third or fourth wave with, with you uh, in that. Um, all right. Just for the point of the, uh, so the audience knows, I actually don't know the answer to this. I'm curious. How many final, how many women's final fours have you covered? Um, I've been doing it ever since Maryland won in, I've got to look up the year. I think it was. Is that Christy Tolliver? Yes. Christy Tolliver. That was the first one I covered. I think that, that was 2008. I want to, I want to say, no, I want to say earlier. 2004. We'll, we'll yeah. yeah I, we'll, I'm one of these we'll, bad we'll look people. look that up. Yeah. People are always like, how many of this have you done? How many of that? I'm so busy doing the things. I'm never one of those that like looks back at the years or the times or, you know, anyway, I've been doing it since Christy Tolliver hit that epic shot for Maryland and Maryland won the national championship. All right. I, it looks to me that if I'm doing my uh, math here correctly, that Christy Tolliver hit that shot in the 2006 national championship game. So that's that's your first one right there. So 17 years, basically. Yes. That's uh, you've been doing this. Okay. So this gives I'm lucky. Yeah, this gives this gives me and the audience a little bit of uh, context here. So there have been um, certainly moments in the sport where the viewership of this sport has popped. You know, there'll be a time where like UConn was going for an undefeated season or something like that, and you'd see really good viewership. Or people were interested in like some star player, Maya Moore, Candace Parker, et cetera, et cetera. What is different now is that the viewership is sustained. It sort of starts at the beginning of the tournament and then grows. And we are taping this right after the Elite Eight viewership came out. ESPN averaged 2.2 million viewers for the Elite Eight round. That's up 43% over the previous year. So I bring all that up that your job is not based on viewership, of course. But when when increases in viewership happens, it, it does make your property, like in the eyes of management, like more valuable. So from your perspective, I just wondered, you've seen these numbers, you're aware of them. What's your thought on this? Because like... You know, in the cord cutting age, like 43% increases don't happen every day. This is a rare thing. Yeah, I think this started. So we've seen ratings increases. I think um, during the WNBA bubble season when, you know, the only sports that were on TV was the NBA and the WNBA playing in the bubble. That was a huge viewership jump. I just keep saying this over and over, and it's a great movie quote from Field of Dreams is if you build it, they will come. And I feel like in our ESPN coverage, when we put it on big platforms, people come and they find it because it's a great product. And so I think ESPN has done a great job and not to, you know, shill for ESPN, but nobody else covers more women's sports. Nobody else has invested in women's sports. I mean, they don't get credit for all the women's sports they've been putting on TV for 20 years. 
And so it's just incrementally increased, increased. But I do think that us putting games on ABC has been a big factor in that. Because, you know, you talked about the cord cutting and how people are getting rid of cable. Well, if you can see Caitlin Clark, you can see Aaliyah Boston of South Carolina on ABC. You're, we're going to hook you. You're going to get hooked and you're going to want to see more of them and you'll seek it out. So our championship game is on ABC for the first time in history. Do you know what it takes to get programming on network television? That speaks to the growth and the interest for them for them to do that. Yep. 3.30 Sunday, as you're listening to this, Holly and I are taping this on uh, Wednesday. You'll be hearing this on Friday. So this um, um, Sunday, you will... Um, you will you will see history in the making regarding programming. Holly, one of the things that's been interesting to me is that for many years there were like if UConn was deep in the tournament, you would have viewership. There was a time when like Tennessee in particular, I think, would draw national interest because of either Pat Summit or the players that they had. What seems very much a relatively new phenomenon to me is that the viewership exists even without like one or two big teams. So like a couple of years ago when Stanford played Arizona for the the final game, uh, as someone who's covered this a long time, my expectation was this this viewership number is going to go down. It's the same conference. It's a total West Coast final. You're not going to bring national viewership in. I was totally wrong. That view, that game popped. It did exceptionally well, over 4 million viewers. So my sense is that um, we're now in an era where it's not – you don't necessarily need a dynasty to draw audience. I think this – you know, where once upon a time it might have been just UConn and or Tennessee, there's like, or Notre Dame, you know, there's, I feel like there's like eight, nine, ten teams now that can draw people to the television when they're this deep in a tournament. Yeah, I think, number one, the the product is better. So you can turn on, I mean, I would make the argument that Ari McDonald of Arizona women's basketball, that tournament run she took them on was much washed. It really reminded me of Kemba Walker with UConn, um, you know, a few years ago. Yeah, good problem. And, and I think you kind of fall in love with a player or an underdog story. And I think Stanford was, Stanford's never going to be an underdog, but they had been on the road for something like 29 straight days because of their COVID restrictions on campus. I think they spent a, a total of maybe six weeks on the road during the course of that season on their way to a national championship. So like people got attached to this story of like, Oh my God, they haven't been home for three months, but they're going to win a national championship. Um, I do think that we do a really good job of storytelling. So we hook you and we get you interested in these young players and then you grow with them. So like, I'll give you an example. I met Aaliyah Boston for South Carolina when she was a freshman after my very first meeting with her, I walked away and I said, that is sunshine. She is the most dominant, lovely, wonderful, sunshiny personality. And she's so good as a player. Um, so I have now been invested and obsessed and watching Aaliyah Boston for four years because of that very first interaction I had with her. And I think viewers are like that, right? You get attached. We call it a rooting interest in sports. And if you learn a little something or you fall in love with the player, I mean, think of you as the kid. Who was your who was your player you fell in love with as a player? You know, we all have those. I love when I was a little kid, I remember um, uh, Pele coming to the Cosmos in like the late 70s. And like the guy just seemed like bigger than life, basically. 
Right. So like you probably weren't going to seek that out or follow that or watch that on TV, but you fell in love. And so I think that's what's happening with women's basketball. Um, Number one, it's a really good product. Number two, we're putting it on a bigger platform so people have access to it. And then number three, we're doing a great job storytelling about these players. So you just kind of fall in love with them. So I have covered, uh, when I covered women's basketball for Sports Illustrated, I covered a lot of great players. Maya Moore, Brianna Stewart, Candace Parker, Skylar Diggins. They were all very popular in their in their own right. Um, and Skylar Dickens was at the beginning of sort of the social media phenomenon, like one of the first sort of social media athletes in women's basketball. But this is all different regarding Caitlin Clark. Like I haven't seen this kind of pop. And a lot of it has to do with this tournament. Um, you know, she's just she's very much like Steph Curry, just hitting long range shots. I think people can like embrace that. But, you know, you've covered her. You've spent a lot of time with her now. You're certainly going to spend a lot of time with her in the lead up to the final four. Like, what do you think this is? Because we have seen popular star players before, but I don't know. This just feels different to me. They're, they're, I mean, when I'm seeing like uh, John Cena of the WWE, like tweet out something about Caitlin Clark, like we're in a different world than we were before. Yeah. I think one thing that we kind of neglected to hit on in that viewership increase is social media because um, social media doesn't discriminate. Like if you want, if you are interested in something, you click something to follow it. And so for whatever reason, if you get interested in Angel Reese of LSU, the Bayou Barbie, um, she is a huge star on social media. She's dynamic, great great personality. Um, I think that people become attached on social media and that's part of what's driving this interest. But for me, I think what's driving interest in Caitlin Clark is one thing and one thing only, and it's her game. I mean, she is, she flows like water. She reminds me so much. I keep saying this and maybe it's obnoxious, but you'll get a laugh out of it. I think it's like if Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi had a baby, it's Caitlin Clark. You know, it's the, <laughs> the composure of running a team, the poise, the IQ, the passing of Sue Bird. And then the swag, the game-winning shots that can hit it from anywhere, ice in her veins of Diana Taurasi. That's who she is. Right. And I just think it's the how that she's doing it. You know, the way she moves on the court, the shots she's making, it feels impossible and she makes it look so normal. And then she's putting up these triple doubles and making, you know, like no big deal. Um, and, and John Cena, it was so funny. She did a gesture in the game. She hit a big shot in their, um, yeah. I think it was their elite eight game, you know, and I, I didn't know, I thought it was, I can't <laughs> film my face when I'm with you. I thought that was from a song and everybody told me That's it's no, funny. it's the John Cena. You can't see right, you me. You can't see me. And right. so then John Cena sees her do that. And then he tweets at her, you know, LeBron's tweeted at her, Steph Curry. And, and I think what's cool is it's like the players who know how hard it is to do what she's doing, they're the ones tweeting at her. You know, they, they, they always say game recognizes game, and I think that's what we're seeing with her. And the they have, you know, to if I could have drawn up, I, like I think the final is going to be great no matter what. If you were asking me if I could have drawn up the final I wanted, it would have been Iowa-South Carolina because you there is something incredibly interesting about a dynastic team which South Carolina is, they have their own All-American, like you mentioned, the Leah Boston is, you know, de facto number one pick in the draft. But when you think of them, you're thinking of basically this undefeated dynasty kind of team, right? And then while Iowa certainly has good players around Caitlin Clark, they have a probably the most transcendent player, at least this year in the sport. That is a great storyline is like, um, it's sort of a, the team of destiny versus like a transcendent player and like who can 
who comes off like or who wins out of that like interesting um interesting matchup uh then again i think lsu and virginia tech are interesting teams they both have major stars on those teams um you're gonna cover both games my sense is i know you would be excited regardless of who was playing but it does feel like you got a pretty good final four just in terms of like really interesting games in particular though i do think that game iowa south carolina has a real chance to be the most watched final four game of all time yeah i think it will be i'll be shocked if it's not number one because there's so much hype around it um number two it's like you were saying it's two really good teams the the 35 and 0 south carolina Don Staley, who is an iconic figure in sports. They've got the McDonald's All-Americans, all the stars. Um, But it it has a little bit of a David versus Goliath feel to it in some respects, too, because, you know, South Carolina's got McDonald's All-Americans coming off the bench. You know, Um, Iowa has Caitlin Clark. She was a McDonald's All-American and she's the only one on their team that was. So that's got an interesting feel to it. Then there's been this other little kind of competition um in the media you know don staley has brought it up a a couple of times about the narrative and um should leah boston be the player of the year or should caitlin clark you know should the best player on the undefeated team be the national player of the year and just literally just a few minutes ago caitlin clark was named the naismith player of the year um Uh, you know she's averaging 30 points a game leah's averaging 13 there's all kinds of arguments but i think there's some back and forth between the fan bases about the narrative and who should it be about? Who are we talking about? So I think there's a lot of that too. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, again, I, I used to vote in the AP poll. Uh, and uh, had I voted for player of the year in the AP this year, I would have voted for Kate and Clark. And my reasoning would have been um, if you took each of those players off of those teams, where is each team? South Carolina to me is still absolutely an NCAA team in a high seed. I'm not sure where Iowa is. And so... Right. That would have that would have been my reasoning on that, but both are extraordinary players, and Aaliyah Boston's going to be starting. Yeah, and game. honestly, you can't go wrong with either one. And I guess I get frustrated sometimes. We do this in women's sports. Um, it, it's her versus her. Like, is it is it elite? You know, like you feel like you have to tear down one to build up the other, and that's not the case. We have two incredible stars, incredible players. Let's build them both up. There's room for everybody. Uh, oh, so yeah. I'd love There's- to see us do that more storyline will be great all right here's something that's like fascinating and this is very much like a women's college basketball thing in my opinion you do sideline uh reporting all the time you talk to coaches it breaks or whatever you know a lot sometimes those moments go viral that's just the life of holly raw or the life of whoever's on the sideline but here's the thing and maybe i'm a little bit biased because i like the sport but i don't think i'm i think i'm being sort of fair and 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 objective here the women's coaches are very good when it comes to what they give you in these moments. You very rarely just get a cliche or a blow off. And oftentimes, especially Kim Mulkey or someone like that, you actually get some news like coming out of the break or coming out of halftime. You don't want to sort of hear this because it's like me shining you up here. I do think some of it is that you they know that you care about the sport. They know you've worked this for a long time. So I think they're going to be more forthright with you because I think they respect you, but it's not just that it's something about the sport where I, I don't know. I'm, this is, I, you know, it's a long winded way of asking you like the why, but like it, it is different. You do college football at the highest level, but these coaches almost always do not do not just give you a cliche blow off answer and then leave. You get something almost every time. Why do you think that is? I think it's because they don't ever take the opportunity for granted. 
you know, a major college football coach is doing idiot all the time, is on TV all the time, is on these big TV shows all the time. These women, I mean, this will be maybe the third time Don Staley gets to be on ABC this year. She's not going to blow that off. She's going to take that moment and own that moment because it's good for recruiting. It's good for her fan base. It's celebrating her team and her program. It's good for her. She's getting all types of advertisement deals. Um, so I don't think these um, coaches take it for granted. Kenny Brooks is the coach at Virginia Tech. Has anybody in America outside of the Hokies heard of Kenny Brooks? No, you're going to get to know him this weekend. So he won't take any opportunities for granted. So I personally think it's um, because they're not so, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Like inundated or, you know, overexposed. They appreciate it. They own it. Yeah, it's interesting. And that's something I've noticed for uh, for a long time. Um, will you be doing the trophy ceremony after the final? Is that your assignment or someone else? Yes, that is my assignment. And it's something I take great pride in. And I love doing. It's just like these precious moments that you get to be the fly on the wall for. And, and it's really cool. So, you know, I would say, at least from my opinion, the, uh, the all-time goat of this is your very good friend, Doris Burke. Like, yes. she's sort of like, I feel like perfected that um, to be... Um, to be celebratory, but at the same time to also occasionally ask a question where you might actually get something for your audience. I feel like you followed very well in those kind of um, footsteps. So I have a couple questions off this. One, do you, do you, and how do you prepare for this? And two, when you're in the middle of it, does it feel different or bigger than if you were doing like a sideline report, third quarter, second quarter kind of thing? Yeah, it feels bigger because you know, these moments live in time and live in history. I remember doing uh, two years ago, I guess it was last year when John Staley, when they won the national championship, there was a picture um, that, that got put in like maybe time magazine or something. And I'm on the stage with John Staley and that went um, worldwide. And I remember having some friends that live in Switzerland send me a, a picture and it's like, oh my gosh, we see you in Time Magazine. Like, that's how big these moments are. Uh, you know, it's not just on television here. These are iconic moments that go across the world. So I, I remember thinking, wow, that's a big, big deal. Um, but secondly, I want the fan bases to feel cherished and uplifted in those moments, you know, because they're just on the high, they're feeling the high. And I want them to get what they need from that ceremony. I want them to feel like they got the pieces they wanted to hear from the coach or the players. I remember um, Brianna Stewart's last year, they had had this motto, you know, she won four straight national championships and that's so hard. I can't imagine still to this day that she did that. And their, their theme that year was Veni Vidi Vici. Um, you know, we came, we saw, we conquered. And so they had this big sword in the locker room. And I remember them at one point, I turn around after interviewing someone, I turn around and they've got the sword out and they're knighting people on the stage. And I was like, I've lost complete control here. There's a sword out. Um, I, I've lost complete control of this, you know? So it's, it's funny because it's like hurting cats sometimes, but I do want to pay off those big moments. I remember when Dawn Staley won her first and Asia Wilson, just feeling the weight and responsibility of really making sure Dawn felt seen and appreciated and celebrated in that moment because her journey had been so long and so unique. Yeah, I was there for both of the last two you mentioned. I remember that sword. Um, I, I, I shouldn't have double barreled. I broke the John Sawatsky rule there. So how do you prepare for uh, how do you prepare for this or do you prepare for this? Yeah, I think I mean, I'm not one. I'm never a person that like writes stuff down in my note, like questions down. I like to just kind of 
feel it in the moment. So I would, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm not perfect in those moments, but I do give it a great deal of thought during the game because I always want to ask a, a question or two about the game, like how they actually want it and what, what happened in that moment. Then I might want to ask some big picture questions about, um, for example, the freshman class that came in for Don Staley, you know, that consists of Leah Edward or Leah Boston and Zaya Cook and, and these players. I would probably ask one about them because they will exit as one of the winningest uh, classes in college basketball history, not just South Carolina history. So I would probably want to ask something about that. Um, if they were to win it, they'd be undefeated. You'd want to ask about the, the weight of perfection and how they did that. You know, so you kind of build topics, I guess, in your mind. Um, but then again, moments happen and you never know what the moment's going to be. One of my very favorite questions I ever asked in a, in a final four was Morgan Williams, this little five, three guard from Mississippi state hit the shot that snapped UConn's 111 game win streak. And my question to her in my post game was, what did you see when you rose up for the shot? And she said, opportunity. And even to this day, that gives me chills. And I thought that's a, that was a question I was proud of because it elicited this beautiful response. So, you know, I don't try to be too scripted, but I do want to make sure that I'm showcasing and celebrating them. That's awesome. I love that. Uh, I love that answer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, a couple more here. The um, You are the uh, 2023 Naismith Hall of Fame Kurt Gowdy Media Award winner for broadcast. Mark Spears is that for um, print. You've... Um, you know, you've had obviously a great career, but I, you know, having talked to you and I know you for a long time, I don't think this is something you would have, if I would have said to you, like, this is going to happen to you, uh, 15 years from now, you would have said this, that's inconceivable. Um, but you know, the last, like, you know, interestingly enough, like the last 10, 15 years of your life, particularly with basketball have really been just an unbelievable journey. Not only have you, uh, become so prominent, when it comes to the women's game, you also are an analyst now for the Utah Jazz. That's a trailblazing position. So I imagine when you got word on this, uh, it's got to be one of your great professional achievements, I would think. Yeah, I, I was shocked, to be honest. And I don't think I even understood really what was happening. Even I went to the announcement and I don't really think I completely understood what the award was until they had us get the stage with Pal Gasol and Dwayne Wade. And I was like, oh, oh, like this is the Hall of Fame hall of fame class like it, it just was shocking to me and you know I, I hate this about myself but my first reaction was like i don't know if i deserve to be in the basket I, I don't know if i deserve this and i got some important texts and i'll cry if i talk about this but um they meant a lot to me because the first one i got was from mike krzyzewski coach k who i consider to be one of the greatest coaches we've ever had in any sport and he said no one deserves this more and, and if coach K thinks that I deserve to be that. Uh, and now I'm going to cry. That means something to me because I've, co you know, I've covered him for 20 years. And, and if he respects the way I've done my job and how I've covered him, that meant something to me. The next one I got was from Tom Izzo. 
you totally deserve this. Um, Bill Self, you totally deserve this. Tara Vandeveer, you, you're so loved. All that you've done to uplift our game. You know, and that list goes on. Don Staley, thank you for all you've done to help the game. So the, if the, the who's who in basketball is telling me that I deserved it, then I better start believing in myself. That's a nice story, Holly. But honestly, the moral of the story is your Rolodex is incredible. Congratulations on that. Those are some... <laughs> <laughs> I feel very loved and appreciated. I will tell you that much. I really do. Nice. All right. Um, I want to give listeners an update. Um, people who have read me or have listened to this podcast know that um, a number of years ago, you were diagnosed with uh, stage three melanoma, um, which is a rare form of melanoma uh, that uh, originates in the nerves. Um you were you you were very very public obviously about that, and the last couple of years I don't know if, if if you you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you sort of were saying that you at some point you were in remission. I don't know if everyone I don't know if you remain in remission or like what the how the medical yeah, sort of terminology works. works. So how are you doing? Is what I'm asking. Yes, I'm I'm close. So how it works with cancer? I, I actually had stage four melanoma, and the only reason I'm correcting oh, wow. you there Absolutely. is because. Yeah. I, I never knew, and I want your listeners to know that it's deadly. And I had a, I had one really hard appointment with my doctor where he said, I, I want you to tell your family what's going on, and you need to start thinking about how you're spending your time. Because I had um, melanoma tumors migrate into my lung, and they were inoperable, and they, you know, it, it was probably going to kill me. Luckily, I got on immunotherapy, and it has saved my life. But the reason I'm telling you that is I want people, if you have anything you even question, go get it checked. Cause I had no idea melanoma could kill me. I, I had no idea. Uh, so that's why I'm sharing that with you. But the way it works is like, so you finish treatment and then every three months you go get scans, make sure nothing new is growing. So right now I'm on my six month scan um, cycle. So I go six months, I go get a scan. I just had new scans in January and anyone who's gone through this, it's really stressful because you're just waiting for them to tell you something's back or they can see something. So right now I'm doing great. There's nothing new. I'm, I feel great. I finally kind of feel back to normal. Um, other than, you know, I have weird scars and challenges with my body, you know, stuff that happens when you go through cancer, but anyway, I'm good. I'm good. I'm grateful. I'm so lucky to be alive. And, um, thank you for asking. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the best news of all. You know, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to offer like sort of a cliche question, but, um, but I am interested because, uh, I think you can provide some wisdom for certainly people who are going through stuff or just um, who might have cancer in their family. But has this experience at all given you, do you feel an appreciation for like what you do on a day-to-day basis? Because unlike many others, you have at least experienced or come close to a medical professional saying like, this is serious. I mean, let's be blunt. This is serious. You may die. Yeah, I I think I appreciate. So uh, this sounds super weird. I really, I don't know that if I didn't have cancer, I wouldn't be living life the way I am. I am living my, my best life. And by that, I mean, I only do exactly what I want to do. Um, you know, and I'm really lucky. I've worked long and hard to have this job and I'm doing what I love. And so I don't feel like I ever work a day in my life, but I used to let stuff bother me or get to me or worry about stuff. And now I feel like having, having had cancer, I'm just enjoying every second. Like I just got to sit there and do an interview with Don Staley, Kim Mulkey, Kenny Brooks, Lisa Bluter, all the coaches, Caitlin Clark, you know, um, 
I, I, I'm just having these moments that I just want to pinch myself. Like, this is so damn cool. And I'm, I'm learning what makes Kim Mulkey great. I just heard a great story from Don Staley about growing up in a house with seven people in one bathroom and how her life in the projects in Philly has made her who she is. And she said, I'm still that hungry kid that was the, the weakest of my siblings that had to fight for everything. That's still who I am. So like, I don't know. I just pinch myself, Richard. I don't know if I'd appreciate, I, I hope I would appreciate it, but I think once you almost lose it, maybe your appreciation is more. And then the last one I want to end on you is again, you, we, you, um, you mentioned ABC. Um, and you know, that's something obviously I wrote about for sort of try to advocate for, for, um, for a long time. I, I really do believe, uh, people like you or, um, Rebecca Lobo, Beth Moens, Debbie Antonelli, like the people who really broadcast, you know, obviously there's behind the scenes people. Most of my audience don't know someone named Carol Stiff at ESPN was a major, major executive in like pushing women's basketball to the forefront. So you are part of this group of people who have really been prominent in this sport and now the sport is going to have a final on ABC. But even beyond that, Holly, you've read these stories, I'm sure. The NCAA has now a big sort of decision to make. Do they sell this tournament outright, of which they're going to, if they do, they're getting 80 to $100 million? Or do they keep it back, obviously, to try to uh, hold it so that it makes the other properties more valuable? And that's my long-winded way of sort of saying to you, like, there has to be some satisfaction for you because like you have like had this journey with this sport and like you are now seeing a sport that is at the precipice of, of legitimately, if it goes to market, like is a hundred million dollar tournament. Now that was not the case when you started like doing this stuff. And I don't know, you must, there's gotta be a part of you that, you know, you want to be removed from the sport. You have to be objective in terms of when you're calling these games, but you should also take satisfaction. In the fact that you're a part of the reason this exists. Yeah, I'm going to tell you one quick story. So when I first started out, no games were on the radio where I lived in Salt Lake City, Utah. So I had this idea and I figured out a way where I did a time buy and I bought airtime. I was 20 something years old on a radio station in Utah. And I went out and sold the advertising time myself. And I got the very first University of Utah women's basketball game on the radio. Wow. First in history. Um, I did that several times that year, including um, Cheryl Swoops came in and played at Utah. That game was on the radio. I'm really proud of that. So imagine this little dumb girl in Salt Lake City, Utah, out there trying to sell ads for Utah women's basketball in the 90s. And now I fast forward last year, last April, ESPN and ABC had me present a women's sports section of the Disney upfronts. So your listeners will know this is where every you know, ad agency, sponsor, anyone in the marketplace comes in and all the networks present what their programming is going to be for the upcoming year. So you can decide where you want to put your money. So we had Don Staley, me, Aaliyah Boston, Brie Beals, Zaya Cook on the stage. Um, we did a whole thing about women's sports and uh, SUNY Lee, the Auburn gymnast was with us and those ads sold out. So I I've gone from selling my own ad time for a radio show in Salt Lake City, Utah, to presenting on the biggest stage in sports for ABC and Disney. And we still sold those ads for women's sports. So, I mean, this has been a 30 year love, love affair of mine. And I'm just really proud. We sold out all of our sponsors 
for the women's final four. Yeah. I love that. We did that. Yeah. I love that. Yes. I love that story. That's great. And your passion, uh, it flows through the screen. All right. Hall of Fame, Michael Jordan, Bill Russell, Holly Rowe. It's going to take you getting used to that a little bit, Holly, but, but that is the reality of your life now. Holly Rowe. That's crazy. You know, the best part though, quickly, the best part yeah. is so, you know this, two of my best friends in sports are Doris Burke and Rebecca Lobo, yep. and they are both in the Naismith Hall they of are. Fame. So really the biggest thing that means to me is now I'm not the odd one out in the friend group. At least, can you imagine that? Three best friend women. Now we're all in the same basketball Hall of Fame. That's really damn cool. I know. You could stay at Rebecca's house and she, like, it's closest, right? Connecticut uh, to Springfield. Like it's fairly, yes. it's, she's not yes. that far away from there. Um, no, that's amazing. It's very, very cool. All right, Holly Rowe, you'll see her on the uh, NCAA Women's Final Four coverage, as she mentioned, not only uh, uh, doing her uh, sideline reports, but also has the trophy ceremony. And her role, actually, it's not even really sideline report anymore. They're sort of like I would almost call it like a sideline analyst now. ESPN has been very smart about um, how they've done that. You see her on, obviously, major college football, including like uh, uh, the big title games. So you're doing some uh, men's college basketball, women's uh, college World Series, which in itself is kind of an amazing property. Annals for the Utah Jazz, and she'll be at the WNBA draft on April 10th. Listen, Holly, uh, you know, as you know. Can I give you one go breaking ahead. news? Yeah. This nope. is, I'm, I'm only saying this because it's you and yeah, I thanks. love you and you've supported women for so long. Um, I just signed a new five-year deal with ESPN. Oh, okay. Nobody, nobody knows that. I'm telling you today for the first time. That When did the, can I ask, uh, oh, I love that, Holly. Holly, maybe, maybe, help yes. me, maybe helping some page views out here. When did, um, there we go. When did that happen? When, this is recent, like in the last um, couple weeks? I signed weeks? it about three weeks ago. I think wow. it, my contract was up April 1st. So five I, I years. about three weeks ago, but I haven't released any news. Okay. So there you go. All right, good. Finally, you know it's, it's breaking news. Well, you're really going to make it. You're making it painful for me to praise praise the ESPN management, but I'm going to have to do that on this uh, on this <laughs> on this podcast. That's great. I'm really happy for you. Well, let me just say, let me just. I have an obvious follow up. Do you continue on the properties that you are continuing on as part of this contract? Because obviously, I think people would want to know that. Yeah, for sure. I I think I'll keep doing exactly what I'm doing. You know. I, I'm what I have a great quote that I've kind of lived my life by is make the big time where you are instead of always chasing the big time. So I feel like I'm on the biggest things. I'm doing college football, number one show, college basketball, number one show, women's college basketball, number one show, WNBA, number one show, softball, number one show. I think I'm I think I'm living my very best life and I'm so grateful to ESPN. They let me keep doing it. Yeah. And again, like, uh, you know, I, I mean, again, I've, I'm very much honest about this. Holly Rowe is absolutely one of my favorite people um, in sports media. But one of the things that I, I really admire about you, Holly, is that you have um, at times when people may. How do I sort of phrase this? Like you, you're you're inspirational in that some of the best work that you have done, you've done in the last couple of years, as opposed to like, you know, oh, when I was like 34 years old, I was like, you know, the, the sports center top anchor or something like that. Like you, to me, like your career continues to be a progression that's heading like up in that direction, which I feel like is uh, very inspirational because I think a lot of people at a certain age start thinking, well, I can't do this. Obviously, ageism and other things exist, but you know, it's like Pam Oliver told me uh, that like it's really important to her that like young um, women, particularly young women of color, like see her on the sidelines because like it it like reminds them like I can do this and I don't have to be like a twenty five year old to do this. Like maybe I can do this at sixty years old, like like Pam does. So um, so one that's awesome, and two again, like I just think like you're 
you really end up being a trailblazer in a lot of different ways. Yeah, it's I'm lucky, and you're right. I mean, usually as you get older, women on TV, it's not it's, yeah, in that's particular, a thing, and I'm, right. I'm not naive to that. That's the total thing, and I'm not naive. You know, um, I just hope that my passion and my ability uh, shine no matter what, no matter what I look like, what my age is. I just think that my passion and and true love and joy for what I'm doing, I hope that that's what people will always remember about me. Yeah, how, how they don't put jabronis in the Hall of Fame. Trust me on this. That's a wrestling term. <laughs> I'm going to have to smarten you up on wrestling and teach you about the John Cena thing. And now uh, <laughs> I'm not there yet. Yeah. Jabroni is a, is a great word, too. And don't use it on the air, but it's a great word to use just okay. in, in general. All right, All Holly right, Rowe. I'm putting it in the vocab. Yeah, Holly, I'd send my send you my best to your uh, to your son as well, who I know is a huge uh, huge uh, fan of yours. Uh, all right, Holly Rowe, follow all her work. Uh, follow her on her social media platforms. And again, um, if you're into women's basketball, she, she's always putting like interesting stuff out. Of, like literally before we taped this, she had like a 26 uh, second like little clip of uh, all the bruises on Caitlin Clark. It like really sort of shows you just like it's not the easiest thing to be a shooter who everybody's uh, trying to defend. So uh, I'm a big fan of her feet. Thank you very much, Holly. I appreciate it as always. Thanks for having me. You know, I appreciate your support for all these years for women's sports, and it, it just means a lot to me, so thank you. All right, back in the studio, my thanks to Holly Rowe for her time and perspective. Uh, really enjoyed uh, really enjoyed that interview. Um, if you like these kind of podcasts, head to the uh, archives. There should be some conversations that you will enjoy. Previous ones include ESPN investigative reporters Nicole Noren and TJ Quinn on their four-year investigation of the uh, University of Utah athlete Lord McCluskey's murder. Had Fox Sports in Los Angeles Dodgers play-by-play broadcaster Joe Davis on this podcast not too long ago with Bridger Oli, my colleague at The Athletic. Kevin Harlan and Jeff Perlman joined me on March 22nd. Had the Aaron Rodgers impact on NFL viewership on March 16th with Chad Finn and Austin Carp. March 13th, WWE star Rhea Ripley on the Nexus of Wrestling and Media and Matt Norlander on how, the, uh, how to cover the NCAA tournament. If you like this kind of stuff, please leave us a nice uh, five-star review and a nice note. That is how this podcast continues. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work this week. Did a lot of podcasts. And thanks to everybody at uh, Cadence 13, honestly, for their support. We will see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.